Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Get set for another oscillated look of Major League Baseball. Where familiar faces return. I'm in my RV. I'm in East Mesa, uh, Arizona, not far from uh, either Sloan or Diablo Stadium. So I'm, doing, I'm getting a good ride in every day. It's been like almost an hour ride uh, daily. Uh, I've been really enjoying that. Radical realignment is considered. This plan would have the Major League teams return to their spring training sites and conduct baseball from there. Players, coaches, umpires, and other personnel would all be kept in isolation. But there would be two separate leagues, a league in Arizona, the Cactus League, and a league in Florida, the Grapefruit League. And great guests join us along the way to talk about our game. That's where our game, and I say our because I love it so much. It's time for this week in baseball. Nope. It's time for Hit and Run with your host, Matt Spiegel. (laughs) Good morning to you, baseball people. I didn't know Sean Anderson had a Mel Allen impression in his bag of tricks, but desperate times call for desperate measures. It is not this week in baseball, although I steal their music um, to open and close the show. And uh, this this is a day where we're going to dive deep into that, because as we are all kind of diving deep into whatever we love, whatever we treasure, whatever we have access to and whatever we desire from baseball's storied past, TWIB has come up a lot. And Fox Sports One has been playing it. Some great classic episodes. I've caught myself watching it. Um, at one point, three different friends texted and said, TWIB is on right now. And we were all watching it together and, and discussing. And, I, you know, I, I entered there. Hey, did I ever tell you I entered at This Week in Baseball? Uh, yeah, I probably did. But anyway, we'll talk about it a little bit towards the end of the hour. And then next hour, Mike Costello, who at the time was working for Major League Baseball and was a driving force. He was like the baseball promotions um content guy at the time and they were baseball was like we need something to make the game more popular and Costell was was a guy at, at, around for the origins of that show so if you're a fan at all of twib or know somebody who is tell them and, and 10 o'clock should be a lot of fun lots more to come on hit and run this morning we will discuss the radical realignment that bob nightingale brought up for the cactus league and the grapefruit league as potentially what this season could look like in whatever form it takes in whatever length it gets to play. We will discuss that. We have the world's first sports bubble underway. It's not baseball. It's another sport. It's another part of the world. But I would tell you what they're doing. And 
and then you can tell me whether you think that's really feasible for um, for baseball to do at any point. Um, I, I have a question about lessons you might be learning as you watch old ball games. Want to talk about that with you? I'll tell you why yesterday was a great day for me and maybe you to hear from Joe Madden. Um, and then a couple other guests, our dear friend Chris Kamka. Uh, who's going to join us at 11.40, as always. There's nobody I like uh, delving into the bizarre uh, minutiae, which usually ends up not being minutiae. It ends up being uh, entertainingly contextual to whatever the hell is happening in the world. So we'll do some of that in baseball with Chris Kampka at 11.40. And then Boog Shambi, ESPN's number one baseball broadcaster, the great Boog Shambi. It's, it's one of us, isn't it? I was thinking about that, and we'll talk about that with him. For the first time, really, the guy doing that, that job, you know, is 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 a, is a contemporary, and, and I'll set him up to tell you a story or two that'll 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 hit home uh, for you, perhaps as it has hit home for me. Along the way, your phone calls not just welcome, but elemental to the very completion of the broadcast. You just you don't want to just hear from me the whole time. Three one two six forty four sixty seven sixty seven, or maybe you do just want to hear from me, and if you do, you can still provide content and uh, context uh, via the text line at 67011, which I see. Also on Twitter, at Matt Spiegel 670. And you can get in on Twitter, at Hit and Run 670, as we discuss our game. Sean Anderson, I'm glad that's in the open. It should stay in the open. Me arrogantly telling Roger Clemens that the thing about our game, Roger, and then trying to self-consciously correct myself, but now I wish I hadn't even corrected myself. I should just own it. It is our game. I'm part of that collective, damn it. And, uh, and perhaps you out there listening, this is your game and our game as well. And After I'm, me on this, go ahead, Sean. Yeah, and I'm somewhat upset that I didn't catch that when you were interviewing Roger to, to poke fun of you when you actually were doing it at our show that you had to go to McNeil and Parkins for them to make fun of you there. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Well, that's just because it's not their game. They're, they're, they're self-conscious about it. They feel bad. They know it's not their game. They know it's my game. Max a and football maybe guy game. anyways. Yeah, right. Max a football guy. And Danny, Danny's, Danny's a basketball guy. He's in heaven with Arturis Karnasovas. He's just, finally, the, the Lithuanian dream is, is coming to the United Center. Um, so, and also, Danny has other fish to fry. He's got a, he's got a little kid. So he's, he's worried about that. I'll worry about our game. Uh, after me on the score today, it's a Bears Sunday right here on the score. Seahawks and Bears from January 14, 2007, the divisional playoff game. Uh, spoiler alert, the Bears win. But the cool thing about these is we're replaying them. Jeff Joniak offers some thoughts before the game begins. That's coming up at noon. Those are, have been pretty cool. And then, and then World Series Game 2. As we continue to air every game from the Cubs playoff run of 2016, World Series Game 2 is tonight at 5 p.m. Joe Ostrowski, Pat Hughes, and Ron Coomer, uh, they are live on the score before the game, after the third, after the seventh, and after the game. These have been really cool. That's at 5 o'clock tonight, World Series Game 2. And then, and then the series comes back to Chicago. Man, and I'm thinking about that. You know, I, I always knew that I had this treasure trove of memories and experiences from 2016 that I thought would come in handy at some point. I remember 
just feeling so close to that World Series in a way that a little kid baseball fan like me would have dreamed of, could not have dreamed of. Went to four games as media, two of them as a fan. Some of the stories that I have shared, some I haven't, my goodness. And But here we are with a chance to relive that stuff now. It's It's crazy. I mean, I'm thinking about... So if game two is tonight, that means tomorrow is game three. That's the one that uh, I'll share the link in, in a few minutes on Twitter when we take a break. But I wrote about because that my brother and my father flew in. My brother flew in from New York. My dad happened to be in visiting. And I remember he was in he was going to be visiting. And it was two weeks earlier. And we were texting about when he was visiting. And I looked at the schedule. and I said, Dad, just saying, I, I don't know for sure if the Cubs will be there. But that night will be game three of the World Series. And I remember his text saying, OMG. He had never been to a World Series game. And then I ended up walking my 83-year-old dad along with my brother and my now wife into Wrigley Field that night in one of the more memorable evenings of my life, frankly. And I ended up writing about it on the website on mattspiegel.com as the history of my baseball everything because that's what it felt like. You know, just a small... The small item of my entire baseball everything. Being able to walk your father into a World Series game, having to hold his arm so he could remain stable and safe amidst the crazy crowd like he used to hold my arm so I could remain stable and safe amidst the crazy crowd when I was a little kid going into a ball game. Oh my goodness. Just the the, the chills and the... And the feelings. Oh, the vibes, babe. The vibes are massive. So anyway, that game is tomorrow on the score. But tonight, as I mentioned, at 5 o'clock, game two from the World Series. All right, text at 670-11 if you want. And you can call at 312-644-6767 as we roll on on Inside the Clubhouse. All right, so in Taiwan, in Taiwan right now, the Super Basketball League, is playing. They have two regular season games, which may be done by now, and then the the playoffs are going to start. The playoffs, and Mark Stein wrote about it from the New York Times, the playoffs are going to take place in a small gym with no fans in a very modest version of the bubble environment that the NBA is going to try to use, a modest version of a bubble that MLB theoretically is talking about using, even though people are skeptical about it in Arizona and maybe Florida. The Super Basketball League only has five teams. And this country, Taiwan, has dealt with the virus extremely well. Now, look, I am not as much of a qualified epidemiologist as, say, Mike Francesa. You know, I mean, that guy, woof, he's done his work. Clearly, he's ready to <laughs> he's ready to transition and talk science with you in real time. I'm just an amateur epidemiologist myself, as we all are, I think, right now. But anyway, Taiwan only had 400 cases and only six deaths as of April 10th. So they're a little ahead of us in, in, in a bunch of different ways. But here's how they're doing it, okay? And think about how baseball might do it, how the NBA might do it, uh, if, if they were to try to replicate this bubble. Teams, here are the people allowed inside the arena. Teams playing, referees, camera operators for the television broadcast, officials at the scorer's table, and a couple of journalists at a press road table behind one of the baskets. A lot of those people are wearing masks. Some 
are forced to watch in socks if they forget that only rubber-soled shoes are permitted inside. I don't know what the science is there. That it sticks, the virus sticks less to rubber than it does to other shoes. That leather is more skin-like, and so the virus sticks to it more, I suppose. I don't know. But so you got people wearing masks, and some of them are wearing socks. The players say it feels like a men's league game or a rec center game. It reminds me of my days hooping at the old new, the new city YMCA right there at North and Clybourne. But imagine ball players having to do this, and if this really feels feasible. When players arrive at the door to the arena, league officials check their temperature with a forehead thermometer. Record the information next to each player's name. If you test above 99.5 degrees, you're not allowed to enter. So imagine that. Chris Bryant gets to the ballpark. Ooh, I'm sorry, you're 99.6, and home you go. I guess Bodie is starting at third today. They're assuming they're in Taiwan right now that a confirmed coronavirus case would lead to an immediate suspension. But at the same time, there's no testing done on the site. That's interesting. I read in Jeff Passan's article that they believe, MLB officials believe, or at least at the time, that if there was a positive test in the bubble environment, it wouldn't necessarily mean the immediate shutdown. I, I don't... That, that struck me as odd because I thought that would mean the immediate shutdown. But they're saying, no, it wouldn't necessarily mean that because they could continue the quarantine and there would be theoretically enough tests available. I, I, don't, I don't know. Um, they don't allow high fives in the Taiwan Basketball League. There are no high fives. They've been outlawed. The players have rubbing alcohol sprayed onto their hands as soon as they exit layup lines and during timeouts. The players wash their hands thoroughly at halftime and after the game. But in a recent loss that one of the teams played, opposing players could be seen on a Twitch broadcast exchanging high fives during the introductions. Look, this is, I like to dream about these quarantine leagues, cactus and, and grapefruit, but does this really seem feasible to you? Does any of this sound... Does any of this sound like something baseball could pull off, like American sports could pull off? I, I do not believe that it does. I wish to hell it did, but I just don't know that it does. The idea look, that of gonna... Baseball Island seems so fantastic, just like how Dana yeah. White wants to make UFC Island. Baseball Island yeah. seems fascinating it would be a great reality tv show as well but it doesn't seem feasible at all like if one person gets it they have to shut down that whole team right yeah well that's that's the thing in, in the article they said that that necessarily wouldn't mean that i think i think the important thing to remember about all these preparations is it's good to do it is good to have the conversation it is good to be prepared and whether whenever the scientific green light comes if it comes at all then they will have had the conversations and they will be ready like maybe cactus and grapefruit is something that happens in August. That August 1st is still going to be time for just small gatherings and not big gatherings, but that we're cleared to have small gatherings like, like the 50 people, like the 75 or 100 people that it would be to do one of these games. And if that's the case, maybe we do have this cactus, cactus and grapefruit. And, and look, I've been on record with this, and Joe Madden disagreed yesterday when we asked him about it, but I'm good. I'm good with 
40 games, 30 games, if that's all that there's time for. And I know it could lead to weird playoff teams. I don't care. It's like what we need is playoff teams and playoff structure and a World Series eventually. And getting ready to play that stuff in September, October, or into November. Joe was saying he thought that Thanksgiving as a, as a last game, Thanksgiving as, as the last game to be played in a, uh, in, in, a, in a dome or a warm weather stadium sounded fine to him. That sounds fine to me too. Everybody go home after Thanksgiving. But whatever you can squeeze in in terms of regular season and start the playoffs at some point, I'm good with that. So that's the thing. They do these precautions. They do these plans. And we'll see when and if there is a time to do it. I love some of the divisions in Grapefruit and Cactus. Man, I, I saw Jim Deshaies tweet yesterday during Inside the Clubhouse. And I like to, uh, I like to think that, that Jim is listening out there in, in his palatial digs in Arizona. But we'll call him some week uh, whether he is listening or not. But he said, man, that Grapefruit League East is going to be crazy. <laughs> He's right. Look at Grapefruit East. It's the Nationals and the Astros and the Cardinals and the Mets. That's bananas. And the Marlins will get their ass kicked by everybody if they indeed play. This is all part of the Nightingale plan, right? The Grapefruit. How about the Grapefruit um, The grapefruit North? Yankees and the Phillies together? Along with Detroit and Pittsburgh, a couple of pushovers there. Toronto will get their butts handed to them or not in a 30 or 40 game season. And if you missed any of this, here's how the Cubs or the Sox would be affected. Obviously, both of them out in Arizona. Cactus League Northeast would be Diamondbacks, the Cubs, the Rockies, the Giants, and the A's. The Giants in a downturn, but everybody else there, thoroughly viable. I don't, that is not an easier division for the Cubs than the National League Central. I don't know if it's harder, the Rockies and the D-backs, are they better than the Cardinals and the, uh, and the Brewers? Are the A's, I think, are better than the Reds, although the Reds had a, a chance to be very good this year. But yeah, that's what the Cubs would be dealing with if this thing were to happen. And then the White Sox, just with the rawest deal of all. The White Sox would be in Cactus League West, along with the Indians, the aforementioned Cincinnati Reds, the Angels on an upswing, and the best team in baseball, the Los Angeles Dodgers. Good luck, White Sox. That's, that's no fun. Uh, some of the other details, just briefly, about the uh, cactus and grapefruit that they're doing, if they do it. Uh, at least one doubleheader every night, universal DH. Um, the, there would be division winners, wild card winners, maybe even two more wild card teams to each league. So. Or they could do the postseason tournament thing with all 30 teams. They haven't even decided. But just imagine games from 11 a.m. Eastern time in Florida to 10 p.m. Eastern time, that being 7 o'clock games in Arizona. And there was talk that some of these games in the passing article might be seven-inning games, seven-inning doubleheaders. I mean, look, you're going to see some wacky stuff. And if any of this happens, it's going to feel really weird for you going to feel really, really weird. And that's okay. Because this year is going to be odd no matter what. No matter what is done, it is going to be odd. And wasn't it already going to be an already Texture's weird... getting in at 670.11. And you can tweet at Matt Spiegel 670. Having a good time talking baseball with you. Because, you know, it, this, is, this is the important stuff. 
I, I could linger on that story, on that moment of World Series Game 3 in 2016. I could linger there for hours, and we have time to do so. I, you know, I, I don't know where you have gone, where you have gone into the treasure trove, if you have allowed yourself to either turn on an old game or stick with an old game. Yesterday, um, our TV popped on, and it happened to be, I think it was the Brewers and the Dodgers from the playoffs what, 2018, a couple years ago. And I just let it linger for half an inning. And just to hear Joe Buck, and to hear the natural sound of baseball, that that steady, calm hum of 30,000, 40,000 people was freaking glorious. To go up and stand next to the TV and and be super close, like I like to be every once in a while, to watch the pitcher and the hitter. It just felt so damn good. Because here's the thing. There's a hole in my life where a ball game should be. And maybe yours too. Sitting on the balcony on a beautiful day this week, there's a hole in my life where a ball game should be. I want to talk uh, about watching classic games with you. If you've been watching them and what you what you have learned, what you have picked up as you've watched some of these old games. And I'm wondering if you've, if you've, maybe you've learned stuff that you've seen strategically or that you've seen would, be a, would make the game better these days as you've watched some of these old games. Maybe you've seen things that would improve pace of play that used to be implemented. We had a caller talking about that yesterday. But I'm also curious as to what you've seen, and I know I have seen some, of, of what has changed with the style of play? What has changed with the style of broadcast? What has changed with uh, the way the games are presented? And also, I'm sure you've seen and learned things about historical context you did not consider at the time in terms of some specifics. Like, man, watching that game now, that feels so different because A, B, or C. I'm wondering what you've learned, things you have gleaned, from watching vintage baseball games in your time of sportslessness right here. Let's talk about it right now. 312-644-6767. That's the phone number if you want to hop in. 312-644-6767 to reach me, Matt Spiegel, on Hit and Run right here on 670 The Score. This hour of which, by the way, is brought to you by Way Back In. Uh, Mike Costell, one of the originators of This Week in Baseball at 10 o'clock. Boog Shambi at 11. Chris Kampka at 11.40. And you'll hear uh, some of Joe Madden from yesterday with me and Bruce Levine as well. Keep it right here and get involved on Hit and Run on 670 The Score. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. 
Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Dan Wilson wants a fastball away. Ground ball, base in in the right field. Heading for third is Terrence Long. The throw by Ichiro. Beautiful. Peggy got him. Holy smoke, a laser beam strike from Ichiro. To the third baseman, David Bell. And Terrence Long is gunned down at third base. What a throw. Two outs. That is just about the most fun I've had watching anything all week because it was so pure and so beautiful. It happened on yesterday, the 11th of April in 2001, today being the 12th, today being Easter. Happy Easter, by the way, to all of you who observe. And um, there's a hole in my life where a ball game should be. But every once in a while, you'll catch glimpses of things like that little play from Ichiro Suzuki. It is a preposterous throw. Bruce and I talked about it a little bit yesterday. But it's an example of some of the stuff you see and some of the context that gets added as you watch these old games. It's hit and run on 670 to score. Matt Spiegel here with you. Sean Anderson, my producer. Uh, I'm going to talk to Mike Costell from This Week in Baseball. Top of the hour at 10. Boog Shambi at 11. Chris Kampka at 11.40. And you'll hear a little bit of Joe Madden from yesterday's Inside the Clubhouse as well. So here's Ichiro makes this throw, and it's remarkable. And then he just kind of is kneeling there on one knee, looking in, expressionless, afterwards. And here's the context that I was able to add from years past to now, is that I think Ichiro was impressed with himself that he made that great throw and was just kind of waiting there. But if anybody read the piece in ESPN about Ichiro, a long-form piece, what, about five years ago by Wright Thompson, just absolutely incredible about Ichiro's drive and his unique brand of self-torture to be as good as he could possibly be as a baseball player, inspired by his father, but then just how he drove himself, his work ethic to be perfect and how he was never satisfied. He never really was satisfied. No matter how many hits he would get, no matter how good he was, no matter how successful he was, he was never satisfied. And it was kind of sad. That piece was, was pretty sad. And I remember the, the overall feeling that I walked away from it with it uh, was that Ichiro, man, no matter how good you were, I'm sure he ended up feeling like, okay, well, now what? What's next? And that was the feeling that I saw on his face now watching that play, even just yesterday and watching a replay of it last night again. Just, all right, well, I did that as perfectly as I ever could. Now, now what do I do? I guess I keep trying to do it, keep trying to replicate it. I got that part done. Okay. Now what? And the emptiness that comes with perfection or comes with success, even though you've been striving for it the whole time and maybe you finally do it, have a perfect play. But now what? So I don't know. I mean, but that, that's me because I tend to try and go for the psychological. I tend to gravitate to do that. It's, uh, it's been tremendously uh, interesting for me anyway to watch these old games. What have you learned as you watch some of these old games? 
A caller yesterday talked about the batter's box rule, that how the batter's box rule of a, of a, a hitter not being able to step out and readjust his batting gloves and everything was followed so much more in the old games. How it improves the pace and the watchability tremendously. And how that, if, if that alone would be enforced, what, uh, what a remarkable boon to the pace of play initiative that would really be. And, and, and it would be. And, but then that got me thinking about, okay, so if we saw the batter's box rule, you know, um, it enforced more and followed more closely by hitters, then that would really change what is one of the great things about the batter-pitcher matchup, which is the cat-and-mouse game. And somebody else had brought it up, and I found myself watching it this morning in prep. The walk-off grand slam by David Bodie off of Ryan Madsen and the Nationals at Wrigley Field. And you remember that, the great moment of, of Bodie's career so far. One of the great moments of that particular Cubs season, the Bodie walk-off grand slam. The batter before is Wilson Contreras. And what he does in that moment, and what he's also always very good at, is messing with the pitcher's timing by playing that little cat-and-mouse game of when you step out of the box, when you don't step out of the box, throwing off... Uh, Madsen's timing in the at-bat before Bodie's walk-off slam. So these are the kind of paths you end up going down. If we were to enforce the batter's box rule, then we'd have to do something, obviously, about the pitch clock and something to level the playing field so there could still be some of that cat-and-mouse game or you eliminate it altogether, which, which seems counterintuitive to the history of the game but would probably be better and everybody would probably adjust to just fine, really. Other things you've learned as you've watched these games, as you found yourself delving back in, and it could be historical context for things in particular, could be stylistic lessons, strategy lessons, things like that. 312-644-6767 is the phone number. 67011 if you want to hop in via text. How about the quality of video? How about the quality of HD video? My God. <laughs> it has been a rapid ascent. Do we have stasis even from like three years ago? It felt like as I watched that 2018 playoff game that I mentioned with the um, the Brewers and the Dodgers, that even that looked kind of old and a little fuzzy. I mean, the quality of our televisions has just continued to upgrade. The quality of the HD signals continued to upgrade to the point that it's it's hard to even stick with these things, isn't it? I find that the graphics, the old graphics, um, charmingly insufficient. Sometimes there is no score bug at all. Who thought that was a good idea? I don't have the attention span to sit around and wait for the broadcaster to mention the score or the half inning. How many pitches has he thrown? What's the count? Come on. Help me out right now. But, uh, I mean, my God, there, there's so many differences from moment to moment. From game to game, I, I, I'm kind of enjoying um, some of the lesser graphics, I must admit. But there is, uh, th there's, there's been things to learn. Whether it's the quality of play, the style of play, the pace of play, or more. Let's go to your phone calls at 312-644-6767. Bill is in Kankakee and is first up on hit and run on 670 to score. Good morning, Bill. How are you? I'm okay. Uh, you kind of stole my thunder there. I was talking about the graphics. I was watching the 1988 uh, 
um, World Series. Yeah. And just the lack of things running across the screen almost was a good thing because I'm I get, you you get bombarded with all this stuff that they have mm-hmm. today, all the the war and the war plus and all this and it's just kind of nice to watch a game and it's just there and Vince Scully is calling the game and you know not a lot of garbage yeah. on the screen. It's interesting. I guess so I'm you just an old curmudgeon. Well, no, I mean, you know, you are what you are. You enjoyed the lack of obstruction on your screen with the with the graphics. Yeah, I hear you. Thanks, Bill. I, you know, and and you don't need it because you're rewatching. You're watching. <laughs> you're watching something that you know the outcome of as well. Hell, you could follow along. I haven't done this, but maybe. I mean, well, I don't know. I don't know why you would. I guess you'd have to be incredibly bored, which perhaps some of you are. But um, you could follow along pitch by pitch via retro sheet or baseball reference and just literally like know exactly what's coming. Sit there and, and amuse somebody, have your own little Groundhog Day moment. But there's, yeah, you know, so, so less graphics working for Bill. This texture says, watching the 2005 World Series game, he watched game two, made me realize that the White Sox right now have three or four starters today that throw harder than Bobby Jenks. Which is pretty funny, considering at the time we all felt like, oh my God, this absurd fireballer. Look at him coming in, breathing fire. But the thing that made Jank so effective was that breaking ball. That, that, that 12 to 6 curve. That when he got it over to go along with the fastball. And what's instructive about that is that that is old. That is both old school and new school now with that elevated fastball and the curveball that comes out of the same exact tunnel and then drops off the table. But yeah, guys throw so much harder now. It's just insane. Like, would Eckersley have even been given the chance to be a closer in today's climate? I mean, Eckersley wasn't throwing as hard as all these guys have to throw now. What he did was had pinpoint control through, you know, he walked three guys four guys during the course of an entire season did that a couple different times single digits and walks can you imagine that for a closer and and just went after you went after you and hit spots and varied speeds a little bit there's not many closers who even get a chance to do their jobs when they pitch like that these days let's go to troy and gray's lake on the score troy good morning what's happening you're on hit and run hey how are you guys we're good, man. Thank you. Good. Yeah, you know, I'm probably one of the few guys that noticed this, but uh, watching the Cubs-Phillies game, I think it was from 77 or 78 when uh, I think it was 23 to 22, that Mike Schmidt yeah. four-homer game. Yeah. Um, you know, that game was played in May. I remember, you know, growing up in Central Illinois, you'd rush home from school and maybe the Cubs would still be on. I think when I got home from school that day, the game was like only in the fourth or fifth inning. But for a game that was played in May, I couldn't believe watching ground balls that were hit and would take one hop and go over the infielder's head. Just how hard the ground is. And the point I'm making is the, the, the manners of the fields today and just how they're well taken care of and obviously better types of infield mix. It's night and day compared to how it used to be. I mean, those things just look like dirt skin fields with little water. <laughs> so the- the, the quality of groundskeeping, at least uh, at Wrigley, 
has has improved dramatically. In, in God TRI. bless Roger Bossard. God bless Roger well, Bossard. Well, it's Bossard on the south side. Thanks for the call, Troy. Um, the Roger Bossard on the south side. I, for, I forget the north side guy who was there for a long time. But yeah, it's um, it, it it's interesting that that that's something you notice just in terms of the quality. The quality of uh, of the field and the quality of the groundskeeping. Man, Wrigley didn't have proper drainage in the outfield for a long, long time. You'd have very sloppy and slippery outfields for many, many years. Six seventy eleven is the uh, is the way to text in. Texture says, as you look at um at closers, the best relievers in history: Mariano Rivera, Trevor Hoffman. Wouldn't guys who would wouldn't were not guys who would blow people away? No, they weren't. Hoffman was a, a speed changer, absolutely a, a, a change up guy, change up and fastball guy. So as the fastball waned, he would have the change up wane with it and keep his discrepancy in terms of velocity the same. And Mariano Mariano is just a freak. Mariano had the most perfect pitch maybe in the history of the game. You could probably take out the maybe. You figure when the dude just showed up and threw one pitch every time and was the best closer in history, the most dominant closer in history. I mean, there was velocity and lots of it, but he didn't need it because the action on that thing was just ridiculous. Just ridiculous. 670, the score is where you are. You're listening to Hit and Run with me, Matt Spiegel, here with you. Taking your phone calls at 312-644-6767 if you want to hop in. And you can also just text us at 67011. There's historical context that gets added as you watch these things. Um, great article on, on Yahoo uh, this week about watching old games and the things you learn. And the author focused on the 2013 NBA Finals seeing, you know, a young Kawhi Leonard, his origin story as a superstar, as he defended LeBron and, and the Miami Heat, seeing, seeing stuff like that. And, and I'm looking forward to kind of happening upon whichever game hits my airwaves today, tomorrow, this week, and, and thinking about these games with proper, proper context and proper significance. I mean, as you're in the middle of listening to the World Series, uh, from 2016 here on the score tonight, game two at 5 p.m., Jason Kipnis likely to be on the Cubs should they play any baseball this year. He was going to break camp with this team, that's for sure. So you hear Kipnis there. It's it's a pre-offensive breakout Javier Baez that's in that World Series. Think about all those things. It's an Addison Russell who had a higher ceiling at the time than Baez, than just about anybody. Addison Russell, who was still being considered a potential future MVP before any problems of a personal nature. You've got a Kyle Schwarber before he uh, hits leadoff and gets sent down to Iowa and comes back up. All those different contextual things. Roger Baird, that's my guy. Thank you very much. Roger Baird is the groundskeeper at Wrigley. That's the name I'm looking for. Thank you, Texters, at 670-11. So a lot of different context available as you listen to this stuff. All right, we'll come back, and I'm going to tell you about the coolest job I ever had. No matter what happens to me, I think this will have been the coolest job I've ever had, and it will set up our segment at 10 o'clock, that's for sure. You're listening to Hit and Run right here on 670 The Score. In Chicago, action at the plate for the National League Championship Series, where Mr. Cub, Ernie Banks, was in uniform to provide inspiration. 
It must have worked because in game one, Bob Denier slammed the second pitch into the seats to give the Cubs the only run they needed against the Padres. Although they scored 12 more just for insurance. Matthews provided four of those runs with two homers among the Cubs five in a 16-hit attack, both championship series records. Matthews was last year's playoff MVP with the Phillies, and old Sarge was in charge again. Ah, if we, uh, we could only stop it right there. Stop it right there with the Cubs ahead of the Padres. Two games to none. Let's just stop it right there in October of 1984. 13 to nothing is that game one that uh, Mel Allen was talking about there on This Week in Baseball. Um, back to that in one moment. But let me correct myself for a second as textures reminded me, and, and I knew, but had lost in the midst of uh, talking uh, out loud to myself and to you, that Roger Bossard invented a drainage system that was designed for the opening of Guaranteed Rate Field in 1991, and 19 of the 30 major league teams use the patented drainage system that Bossard developed, including Wrigley Field. So yeah, the Cubs had brought in Roger Bossard to install his drainage system that he patented, designed, invented. And installed. So the caller was right. Bossard indeed does deserve the credit for the improved drainage at Wrigley Field that uh, you may be noticing was not as good in the past as you watch the condition of the field in some of these classic games. Um, all right. So this week in baseball, that's the 1984 uh, NLCS uh, before the Padres went on to uh, lose to the Detroit Tigers, who were one of the f just five teams in baseball to go wire to wire and win the World Series, uh, along with the 2005 White Sox, the 1927 Yankees, and a couple others. But this week in baseball, a staple of my youth, and maybe yours as well, and I find out as a high school senior in 1987 that a family friend worked at Major League Baseball Productions. I'm in Lawrenceville, New Jersey, right near Princeton and Trenton, New Jersey. Major League Baseball Productions is in New York on 7th Avenue. And I find out that that family friend works on This Week in Baseball. And he says he might be able to get me an internship. Oh, the good fortune. The, the, the luck of being born into a family who has a friend who ended up going down that path. This is a reason, by the way. And if you heard, was it just last week? Yeah, I had my nephew on. Like anytime you get a chance to pay that kind of stuff forward, when good things have happened to you in your past, you got to do it. You have to do it because our family friend got me that internship. So the summer after my senior year of high school, I was getting on a train for an hour every morning, going from Jersey to New York and interning at Major League Baseball Productions, working on This Week in Baseball. So I'd work for four days a week, Monday through Thursday. And here's how it would go. Monday, I would hang around in the back of the meeting while the producers and all the, all the, all the guys who work in the show were talking about the topics and what might be on the show, and I didn't say a damn thing. But I just listened. And then they would decide, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do something on Bo Jackson this week. Uh, and then they would say, hey, Johnny, uh, or whatever the guy's name was, we need you to uh, gather all the great Bo Jackson stuff from the past three weeks, okay? 
And then Johnny would say, okay. And he'd walk away and he said, hey, kid, come here. And I would go with him and he'd say, okay, here is, uh, here are the, here's a room. These are the videotapes. One videotape for each game, three quarter inch videotape of the game is, is on there. There's the audio call from both the home and the road on that videotape. I need you to gather every great Bo Jackson play from the last three weeks and put them on a cart and then drive the cart over to my edit suite. So then I look through all these game logs. They had people there whose jobs was to watch games and write down every camera shot. And here's one of the camera shots. Medium close-up, third base angle, pitcher, full wind-up. And there was a, an acronym for that. There was a, a, sh a shorthand, an acronym for all that stuff. And I would need to find Bo Jackson plays. I would find the tapes that had the plays. And I would queue up the tapes of the plays. I would, of course, watch them and make sure that I was seeing them. And this was gold because you didn't see this stuff except on This Week in Baseball on the weekends. But here I was getting a chance to watch these plays. And there's Bo climbing walls and Bo diving for fly balls and Bo making throws and breaking bats on check swings. And I'm queuing all these up. I listen to the home call and the road call. Which one is better? Okay, yeah, that one's better. And I set it all up on the cart and I would drive it over to the edit suite and I would watch the guy put it together. Some tedious time in there, but some absolute gold being able to go through the tapes of these games when nobody had access to any of this stuff except Major League Baseball and then Major League Baseball Productions. That's the only place you ever saw that stuff. So I would be a part of that. I would, of course, fetch coffee for people, as you do as an intern, fetch lunches for people. On Wednesday, I'd be in the big control room as they put together the show and I'd watch the, the, the video wizards put things together, slow things down, clean up tape, time things out, sitting there on the couch, being involved in conversations the entire time. And then on Thursday, we'd go to a different place and we'd get ready and the writer would be there. Wheezy Shapiro, the writer would be there. The producer, Bob Bodsner would be there. And then Mel Allen would walk in and go and sit down in his little broadcast booth and record the show with the script. They'd do a few takes of whatever they needed, record Mel doing the voiceover. And about 11 o'clock, they'd say, Mel, what do you want for lunch? They'd say, hmm, and he'd think about it and he'd choose a restaurant. And they'd order lunch and I would sit there, five of us, me, one of them, improbably, and have lunch with Mel Allen every Thursday as a just graduated high school senior. I did it again right after my freshman year of college those two summers, that is the coolest job I will ever have. And I know it. And you're talking to a guy who, who, who traveled with the Cubs during a World Series, who was at the World Series for Sporting News Radio, covering the White Sox in 2005. And maybe I'll have cooler jobs down the road. But never again will it feel as unique and as awesome as being an 18, 19-year-old kid interning at This Week in Baseball, having lunch with Mel Allen, and just listening to a very knowledgeable producer and writer talking with the great Mel Allen about anything in baseball history that could possibly come up. I wish I'd written more down, but man, that was the coolest. So a little bit of intimate knowledge from my perspective, but hell, by then the show was old. Show was eight, nine years old by then. So how did this show begin? How did this show run? How did they get Mel Allen? Did all the teams cooperate? What were the coolest things that happened in putting together that show? Did they know how special it was at the time? Let's talk 
to uh, one of the guys who was the driving force behind This Week in Baseball from its earliest days and through the, the first decade of the show. We'll talk to him. He is Mike Costell, and that'll be the conversation we have next here on Hit and Run on 670 The Score. Boog Shambi, ESPN's MLB play-by-play god, will join us in one hour, and Chris Kampka at 1140. You're listening to Hit and Run with me, Matt Spiegel, right here on 670 The Score. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 